Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's a game so big, the ESPN College Game Day guys are even showing up for it. Stanford versus Oregon. This should be fun. It'll certainly be illuminating football on Saturday afternoon. Can't wait for it, and can't wait to dive into this edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for joining us. I'm the Troy Clarity here on the TreeCast, and we got a big show for you coming up. Our guest list is, is as distinguished as it could possibly be. Look, we try not to slouch. We're not going to cut corners here uh, on the TreeCast. We want to leave no doubt that this is the best Stanford football podcast out there. And I think these two guests on this show will certainly help us achieve that goal, at least for this week anyway. Couch family defensive backs coach. That's just a fancy way of saying the Stanford secondary coach, Dwayne Aquino. Longtime veteran in the collegiate coaching ranks, Stanford defense, and the particular, and in particular, the uh, secondary has uh, been a shining spot uh, for Stanford so far this year. You'll hear Coach Akina's thoughts on how things have gone on that side of the ball, and uh, what sort of things the Card will need to do against the Ducks this time around. And I'm really looking forward to this chat, my man. You see him on ESPN all the time on Sports Center with SVP. He's got his own podcast again this fall, now newly renamed Stanford Steve and the Bear. Looking forward to catching up with the one, the only Stanford Steve, former Stanford tight end Steve Coughlin joining us on the TreeCast as well. I'm Troy Clarity. couple quick reminders. Number one, who am I? Well, this is my 26th season following Stanford football throughout various outlets, uh, pregame and postgame host on the radio side back in the day, longtime columnist uh, for thebootleg.com. Uh, with Clarity's Corner, did that for 15 seasons and also other various uh, radio efforts um, as well with Learfield. That still continues to this very day. So and it was also my pleasure to call the uh, Stanford football spring game on the Pac-12 network uh, this past spring. So that was a lot of fun, seeing a lot of Stanford football and very excited for what could be to come uh, this Saturday afternoon slash evening in Eugene. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Uh, at Troy Clarity, last name is C-L-A-R-D-Y. Give me a follow. or And like my Facebook page, too. Facebook.com slash Troy Clarity TV. All right, I'm pretty pumped uh, for this game. Should be a good one. Two ranked teams going at each other. Stanford, of course, ranked number seven in the country at this point. I think that's a little high. Oregon ranked as well. We're going to learn a lot of things. I'm pumped about it. I'm excited about it. But I'm also going into this game with a little bit of caution. Mostly because of the injury report. As it has been updated throughout the course of the week. On Tuesday, David Shaw eventually revealed and kind of snuck that tidbit in there. That Casey Tuhill, outside line, linebacker for the Cardinal, is out 
for this week against Oregon. Might be out for a couple more weeks based on some speculation I've heard. But uh, he's definitely out for this week against Oregon. I can certainly tell you that. That's a big loss. That's a big loss. I like Jordan Fox. I like Gabe Reed. Those two young will be asked to step in and play for Casey Tuhill and to uphold the standard. And I think they have the capability of doing it. But especially against this Oregon offense with a lot of things they try to do, a lot of ways they try to attack you, especially on the perimeter, outside linebacker is critical. Joey Alfieri has already had a big year. The Oregon boy coming back up to the Beaver State. He's pumped up for that. But uh, Casey Tuhill has been uh, really integral in the outside linebacking efforts for the Cardinal as well. And uh, he will not be available for Stanford against Oregon. That's a loss. Davis Mills bumped up and banged up against UC Davis last week. So he's out. So that means that Stanford's number two quarterback coming into Oregon here is Jack Richardson. Six months ago, he didn't even have a scholarship, but he performed masterfully during spring practices as Stanford's only healthy quarterback at that time, worked so hard physically and from a football standpoint, and played pretty well in the Stanford football spring game as well and was rewarded with a scholarship immediately after the spring game was concluded. So a great story for Jack Richardson. He's now the number two quarterback for Stanford this week. But the true alarms from an injury standpoint, to me, are on the offensive line. Left guard Devery Hamilton, out for this week. Out for this week. Foster Sorrell already out for a while. A.T. Hall, right tackle for the Cardinal. Might be a game-time decision. If he is unable to go, then that changes a lot of things from a personnel standpoint for Stanford up front. A lot of things. Nate Herbig has been working at right tackle along with his right guard duties so far this week. It could just be very, very messy if things are not able, if A.T. Hall is not able to go against Oregon on Saturday. Uh, Henry Haddis also getting some work. Big number 78. He's been getting some work this week trying to get ready for potential action against the Ducks. And and all this injury news for the offensive line is already coming off the heels of a game in which which Stanford was fairly underwhelming up front against UC Davis. We talked about that in the previous TreeCast. Walker Little, unhealthy as well. And unfortunately, I think at times for him, it showed against the Aggies. Good to have Jesse Burkett back as David Shaw... Very happy to see him back to try to try to stabilize things as best he can. But it's going to be a tall task for Jesse and the rest of the crew, healthy or not, for the offensive line this week. Based on the struggles that the offensive line have had from a personnel standpoint, from a health standpoint, and it seems from a blocking standpoint in the run game particularly, during his Tuesday weekly press conference, David Shaw was asked for his grades of Stanford from the run-blocking perspective. It was an interesting chat. It was an interesting thought, and here it is. Yeah, it's really hard to to greet us harshly on, you know, especially two out of three games. The the defensive is just saying, we're going to put one more box, one more guy in the box, and you can block. And I'm stubborn enough to keep running it, um, yeah, trying to establish – uh, the running game, and also knowing that we've got a running back. If if even if they do load the box and we get a crease, he's still going to take it the distance. Um, so it's hard to grade us because we've been rolling the rock uphill to a certain degree. Um, I think for what we've done as a whole right now, run blocking wise, I'd say B minus. 
all those things considered, I thought this this past game was was bothersome in the sloppiness, um, but the efficiency was better. So um, I, I still throw us around a B minus because I think we've had a, a t- difficult um, road to hoe with uh, those guys up front running the ball. Um, what we've seen, but uh, it hasn't been bad, but it can be better. David Shaw sharing his thoughts on how to grade out the offensive line from a run blocking, run blocking standpoint, rather, uh, coming into this game against Oregon. And he's not wrong. It, it can be better. We talked about this uh, really at length on the previous tree cast because really, and we talked about this too, not necessarily this year to this point, but, but certainly in previous tree casts, offensively, it all starts up front for Stanford. That's where it all begins. Stanford's offensive scheme is at its best when the offensive line is at its best. When it's opening up the holes for Bryce Love and the Stanford Cardinal running backs. When it's giving K.J. Costello and the Stanford quarterbacks time to find those oh-so-dangerous wide receivers and tight ends downfield that just cause so many different matchup problems all across the board. None of those things happen unless the offensive line is performing at its peak. And we've seen, we've seen what that looks like. We've also seen what the other side looks like, too, when Stanford is not performing up to its optimal uh, level of play up front on the offensive line. All starts up front for Stanford. That's where it all begins. And there is going to be an even larger premium than normal placed upon their performance this week on the road. It's going to be a packed house at Dotson Stadium. They're going to be in full throat. In Eugene, communication is going to be critical. Health is going to be critical, too. They're, they're, Stanford has depth on the offensive line, but that depth, funny thing about depth, when you think you have it, it often goes away. <laughs> it gets tested at the most inopportune times. All starts up front for Stanford, and the Stanford offensive line's performance will go a long way towards deciding cardinal success in Eugene. Question marks for the offensive line continuing into the week, but not quite as many on the defensive side of the ball. Matter of fact, defense, we talked about this on the previous TreeCast, I, I kind of think to some extent is carrying this team as of right now. Secondary has performed very well as a whole. Elijah Holder, good to see him back. And Paulson Adebo, boy, he has been, he's been a bit of a revelation so far in his young career. And the safeties have performed well too. Those young men are coached every single day by one of the very best in the biz. Dwayne Aquina, in his 38th year, as a, has 38 years as, 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 as coaching experience, in his fifth year on the farm as the Couch Family Defensive Backs coach for Stanford. My pleasure on Wednesday afternoon to catch up with Dwayne Aquina. All right, Coach, Oregon Week is here. We'll get your thoughts on the Ducks in a few moments or so. But first, overall, a lot of folks outside the program surprised by the defense's performance to this point. I'm sure a lot of folks inside the program, maybe not so much. How would you assess how things have gone overall for the defense through the first three games? I think it's been a really good team effort defensively. We're doing the things that, uh, you know, what, what I think are the keys to victory in this last game, especially you saw where our third down, you know, we won 75% of the time. We had three sudden change situations and no points involved. 
we've really played well in the red zone, which was a main focus for us. You know, yards, the last time I looked, yards, no game was won on yards. But when the last couple of opponents have gone down there, we've really kept it. We've won in those areas, you know, and kept them to three points. And um, so we're doing those kinds of things. We still have to work. There's been a couple of explosive plays late in the game, you know, when we're playing a little bit softer to secure the lead. But I think overall, coverage is really um, playing well, which is is being helped by the pressure, you know, and it all works together. And the starting point is we're playing really good gap control defense, which is putting us into some longer yardage situations. So it's been really a great team effort defensively. Yeah, front seven has gotten after it, but your guys have also performed very well as well, especially uh, coming off the UC Davis offense that I like the, I like the term Elijah Holder used to describe the Aggies when I talked to them after the game on Saturday, a nuisance kind of offense yes. because they just kind of nickel and dime right. you and, and Doss had 13 catches before only 106 yards. When right. you're facing an offense like that, what sort of challenges does that pose? The biggest thing you know against offenses like that is there's going to be completions. The, the ball's going to get out of their hands, so you frustrate the, the, the front seven. Um, but you understand that there's going to be completions, but you have to tackle well. There can't be runs after catches, and that's what I think we've really focused on and we've tackled well the last couple games. Uh, first game, we had a couple missed tackles, and you can see the yardage off of those. The last two games, we've really done a nice job of cleaning that up, coming inside out, tracking the hip, the guys on the outside maintaining their leverage, and there's not a lot of extra plays. And, and it's key that you run to the ball, great effort to the ball, which eliminates open field tackling situations. Which individuals have stood out to you so far from the secondary standpoint? Well, I think we're playing solid across the board. Our safeties, um, Malik, Bend, and Frank, you know, those three IQ-wise, you can give them a lot of information. They've been outstanding. Obviously, Paulson Adebo is um, kind of what we thought he was going to be. Now he... He's still learning as time goes on. There's something new that he hasn't seen before that you go through with young players. Um, Elijah Holder, it's nice. He's he's working his way back to what he was. You know, a year ago, he was a dominant corner, in my opinion. He was a top-two corner in this conference when he got hurt um, and would have had a tough decision if he would have stayed healthy after the season was over. And then Alamine, it was nice for him. Uh, you know, baited a throw and showed Showed a bail technique and stepped down and talked him into throwing an outcut into a, you know, into a hard corner. So they're really all together, really playing solid together. What goes into making a great defensive back on the collegiate level? And what are some of the traits that that, that you look for? And you're trying to and you, and, you, and, you, and that you emphasize when you're coaching the kids up. Yeah. You know, for me, because you never know when you're talking about evaluating an 18-year-old coming out of high school. You know, because just raw athletic abilities is not is a great starting point, but that does not equate to get great defensive back. There's a lot of great athletes walking the streets that that don't become great players. So the one thing I look for is always passion and effort for the game, guys that love ball, okay? So what, what, what I know when I see a guy like that, I know he's going to hit his potential as a player, and I kind of have an idea what athletic ability, what they're like, it's not always height and, and all of those things. Daryl Lewis was 5'8 and pro bowler for me. My first Thorpe Award winner, Quandre Diggs, just, you know, hit the bank with a $20 million, you know, and he's 5'8. And we've had some guys here, Ronnie Harris, who's undersized. You know, and then you got longer guys. But I think competitive spirit has been the common thread with a lot of guys I've had, the great ones, along with passion for the game because you know they'll hit their whatever their potential is. Now when you get that... Chris McAllister, Justin Reed, Aaron Ross, you know, where they've got great ability 
along with a great passion for the game, you got a chance to break the bank wide open, you know. <laughs> Spending a couple moments with uh, Cardinal secondary coach Dwayne Aquina here on the TreeCast. And coach, a lot of people talk about how the offensive game plan comes together for this team. How does the defensive game plan come together between you and the rest of the defensive coaching staff uh, and, and Lance Anderson? How much input do guys have? How does it tend to, to come together from week to week? You know, I've been blessed. I've been on a number of staffs, done this a long time. My time at Arizona, well, you know, the Desert Swarm and in my times at Air Texas, we've been part of some great coaching staffs, and there's no different here. You know, Lance and this staff, it's, it's um, we, we have a system, and then within that system, we look at what an, another offense is presenting, and we find ways to take away their lead plays. First, you start on first and second down, and um, it's really a, a great working environment in there that everybody just kinds of throws out their ideas. There's a lot of experience in there. A lot of us have been in a lot of big games. So it's a great collective um, uh, defensive staff in there. And I think Lance Anderson, you know, I, I've been with Muschamps and Gene Chizik's and, you know, a lot of great defensive coaches. Rich Ellerson, who was kind of the one that brought up the Desert Swarm, that Double Eagle Flex was the one that brought it from Canada. So I've been around a lot of great defensive coaches, and Lance is right there with with the top-of-the-line guys and makes the final decisions and gives us all an opportunity to say this is what we, we think as we, we see it. We all present. Daron Reynolds does a great job in the run game and the passing game. Pete Hansen, who's been with this defense for a number of years, does an incredible job with the linebackers and understanding all the gap control stuff. So it's really nice at this time in my coaching career to be around a coaching staff you know, that is just not only very competent, but just good guys to be lining up with. And then when you have a head football coach that understands how to win a game, it's just not about yards and selling tickets on how a football game is pieced together, that defense needs to help offense, offense needs to help defense. You know, it's it's just really terrific to be around. Reminds me a lot of them, those great Texas years that we had. It's interesting you bring that up because obviously, you know, you were around Arizona, the height of Desert Swarm. You were in Texas for a while. You've been here for a long time. Big regular season game coming up here in Eugene. I'll get your thoughts on the Ducks in a second. But when you have a big week like this, especially early in the season, what's it like when it's a big regular season matchup, having been involved in so many of these throughout the course of your great career? Well, you, you know... We always say you want to be playing meaningful games late in November, and to do that, you got to win these early games. So, this is this is an outstanding game, and you know, not to say what everybody says, it is a big game, and we know it's a little bit bigger than the others because it's a conference game. It's North, and this is, you know, this is one of the outstanding um, competitors within our conference. So, I think you got to stay focused. Where I was really proud of our guys, we really locked in well. We understood what SC's offensive philosophy was you know with tendencies and all we did a great job there and yet we maintained the same level of intensity learning intensity with Davis because that was a little bit of a trap game with everybody saying wonderful things about us so that was a real mature approach and I just think our seniors here have done a great job Bobby and Elijah and and, um, you know and even Malik who has emerged as, as a leader there that they've maintained a focus on understanding our opponent, knowing what their tendencies are. You listen to guys out on the field, they're talking football, you know, they're dialed in. So I think those are the keys in early games, and they're going to be the keys late in the season too. I think you go back and just trust your technique and your training in games like this and not try to get 
too fancy, do more than you need to. You know how they all say, just do your job, uh, however you choose to say it, you know. But um, I think we've done a great job with everybody dialing in to what their tendencies and what their keys are, and then let's go play. And, of course, all those things are going to be paramount once again this Saturday against Justin Herbert, the Ducks offense, uh, the Autzen Stadium crowd, all those things kind of coming together. Yeah. As we wrap this up, your overall thoughts on the Oregon Ducks, some things they present, and your keys and things you're going to be watching on Saturday well, evening. They're, they're very explosive on offense, you know, and that's kind of been who they've been over the years. You know, they recruit a lot of speed, and they try to find their matchups. A lot of vertical throwing games and what they're hoping as they're moving, you know, number one becomes three, two becomes one, you know, and all the crossing routes and all that to see if we somebody makes a mistake back there and they have somebody running free. Try to get their um, athletes, and, and they got many of them. Not only the receivers can really run vertical, they got the vertical stretch game, and then besides that they got a backs who really have outstanding speed checking down. So they'll stretch you vertically and then put – tackling situations on the linebackers so you know they don't do a lot they do it very well and then they got a guy that can stretch the field you know I mean every blade of grass he can hit on this 100 yard field so you know there's a lot of people think he's the number one NFL quarterback prospect coming out so you know it would be a great challenge for us so this is the best probably skill team we've seen to date but we're the best skilled team they've seen to date, so it will be fun. Big test on both sides. Can't yeah. wait for it. Coach, thanks a bunch as always. Always appreciate the time. Best of luck on Saturday. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Really enjoyed catching up with Stanford uh, defensive backs coach Dwayne Aquina, and he is 100% correct. Big test for Stanford, but big test for Oregon, too. A lot of question marks, I think, surrounding both teams heading into this Saturday. Hey, again, this is the TreeCast. You've got thoughts on the show. Best way to voice them is to hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. Also, give me a follow on Twitter at Troy Clarity. And also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review these shows on Apple Podcasts. It's really quick. It's really easy to do if you subscribed, uh, rated, and reviewed to the shows last year. Uh, technically, that was a different show, so you're going to need to do it again this year. So subscribe, rate, and review via Apple Podcasts. Once again, certainly am enjoying uh, the great reviews and the great ratings that we have received. But be honest, of course. You know, hey, if you don't like the show, if there's something that you think we could be doing better here on the program, certainly let me know all about it. I uh, want to be as, uh, as, as, as fair and as objective about these podcasts as I possibly can be and uh, certainly welcome your input all the way around. Subscribe, rate, and review. My birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks. That'll be a nice little present. Subscribe, rate, and review the TreeCast on Apple Podcasts. It's not my birthday yet, but it might as well be because it is always a big day whenever I get a chance to chat with our next guest and one of my truly favorite people, and I'm super pumped and excited to see uh, what he's done since our respective days uh, working in lovely Bristol, Connecticut, back at uh, ESPN, the worldwide sports leader. Can't tell you how many times I've been in restaurants and hotels and things like that, flipped on Sports Center with SVP. And there's my man right off to the side of the set. Uh, he's uh, rapping with SVP about whatever happens to be going on that time of day. You know him, perhaps, as a former Stanford tight end back in the late 90s, but probably more commonly know him now as Stanford Steve on ESPN and the co-host of Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast. For those of you who are into a little 
uh, financial components, a wagering component with your college football. Stanford, Steve, and the Bear have you covered. But a big-time pleasure to welcome in the one, the only, Steve Coughlin into the tree cast. Steve, pleasure, my man. How you doing? My man, uh, great to be on with you. Uh, it's been a while. I know we try and talk as much as possible, but with your schedule, my schedule, it's not the uh, <laughs> it's not the old nine to five, nine to one. Uh, what do they call those bank hours? But we we we, we get to share our thoughts. Uh, whenever we can, and uh, great to be on with you. Yeah, certainly an honor and a privilege to have you back in here. Let's talk a little Stanford football, and I'm sure you've had a chance to watch the fellas throughout the course of the season. Uh, 3-0 and to this point, but maybe they didn't get to 3-0 and in, in ways that, that people expected them to, with defense, it seems, leading the way for the Cardinal. What are some of your overall thoughts and impressions uh, on how things have fared for the Cards so far this year? Yeah, I... Uh... I I had a chance to talk to Coach Shaw when he came to Bristol for a couple of days, mm-hmm. right before camp started, and you could just tell uh, he was excited about the personnel he had on the defensive side in the secondary. Knowing Holder was coming back, I think he thinks the world of Okariki, as do I. Um, just seeing how balanced and versatile he is as a player. Obviously, we had to replace so much up front with what we've lost the last couple of years, which seemed like our best player was a defensive tackle the last couple of years. Um, but then when you looked into the games, you know, it was great to see KJ pull the trigger against man-to-man coverage against, I like to call him Jaws. I would like to get this started. It's <laughs> Jaws with two J's, J.J. Arcega Whiteside. Um, and it was good. I like to see, you know, Parkinson and, and Caden Smith, you know, running those deep routes and, and using their bodies to, to make great catches and fend off defenders and have and gain KJ's trust. The biggest issue I feel, and it's what really, really worries me this week, is the indecisiveness of, um, you know, the calls and the counting of the box and, you know, stuff like that with with people up front. And I know we had to start a true freshman and Dalman, and we've had some injuries that shuffled the, the, the personnel around and got, you know, Herbig's been playing, you know, some tackle, guard, whatever. And then to see the injury report again this week and have like A.T. Hall, I saw it was a game-time decision. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that kind of worries me, Troy, when when you, when you I've been there and and I know we've, we've gone on the road with younger guys up front. You know, I hate to sound like cliche, but that stuff does affect you on the road, man. Like, you know, not being able to communicate calls and Knowing how dependent you know Stanford is on their run game, if you can't get your run calls, man, like now you're just guessing. And you know, obviously everybody's scheming to stop Bryce Love. San Diego State did it, USC did it, except for two runs. So it's it's a it's a really weird predicament. It feels like we're always not to make excuses with our schedule, but it feels like we're always starting at home when the, you know students aren't on campus. Not that I'm not that I'm saying we have a great home field advantage, but. Um, <laughs> To go on the road for the first time and know it's ahead next week uh, in this two back-to-back road trips is uh, feels a little daunting, I- I'll admit. Yeah, I- I'm right there in lockstep with you with, with, with my concerns about the offensive line coming into uh, this week's road trip up to Eugene. O- overall grand scheme of things, are-, are you as worried about the run game and what it has or hasn't been able to do this point as, as most other folks seem to be? Not really. Not really. It's just, and I can tell the coaches are just that frustrated because it's just the consistency factor. You know, guys will block it. Like last week, I'm watching the first half, and obviously, B Love's not out there. But like, 
they blocked it totally right. And Spikes missed. He just missed the cut. Uh, Scarlett just does, you know, doesn't have the explosive to, to see it and and make that burst that Bryce does. So it's like not saying, you know, it, it's people want to compare it to a quarterback, you know, that comes in like he's, you know, a quick three-step drop guy, you know, and, you know, you know he's going to get rid of the ball. And then you bring in a younger guy who's a five-step drop guy and you don't know where his drop is in the pocket. So you're ta- if you're a tackle, you know, and you got a good rusher, you're, you're nervous because you don't know where your quarterback's going to end up and you're trying to pass that based on that. So I feel like the, the, the run blockers up front might have gotten a little taste of, hey, I got to hold on to these blocks a little bit longer without Bryce Love. <laughs> so um, I think it's just a combination of things, but most importantly, it's a lack of consistency because they have done it. You know, they've shown the flashes, but now let's do it on a consistent basis. It will be, we'll be all good. As an old tight end yourself, and I think you just hinted at this a few minutes ago, uh, you, you have to love what what the the, the the passing game weapons that that this that this offense features. You mentioned Jaws. I'll help you try to get it started as as much as I can myself. And Caden <laughs> Smith and Colby Parkinson. Do you, do you just look at those guys and just salivate and think, wow, you know, I was in a pretty good offense myself, but imagine what I could have done with these guys. It's 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 it, exactly. It's I couldn't be happier for those guys. Um, it's, and it's amazing, man. When you go to go back and you, you say like Jim Dre now on the staff, which also gets me really amped up to see guys like him coming back who really started this thing, you know, in 06, 07, 08, where it was just, as you know, I'm still watching and, you know, to see those guys fight through and your, your fleeners, your urches. And then it just feels like these guys, they'll admit it. Like it's, it, these guys are more, they're more athletic. They're more talented. It's crazy to say to see what those guys are doing in the NFL and to hear them talk about the guys they watch on Saturday. You can say that about the whole entire team, actually. Now, I'll never forget 2010 when Stanford pulled up, the bus pulled up to Notre Dame, and just watching the guys come off the bus, and I said, oh, this feels different. This is a whole (laughs) new ball game here. And, of course, Stanford has done so many wonderful things uh, since then. Big test for Stanford, obviously, this week, going on the road, facing Eugene. But but also, I think by far the, the biggest test for Oregon to this point in the season, too. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm not impressed by, by, by big wins over Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State to this point. I, I like Justin Herbert. He's pretty good. But I really have, have, have had trouble believing the hype surrounding Oregon uh, throughout the preseason and to this point so far in the season. What do you make of the Ducks so far and just how good they are? might be right now well this goes back to the spring and i remember um watching the the oregon spring game and ryan leaf came on right after and he was like like i, I couldn't believe the praise he was given and he he made it sound like herbert was i uh, no question the best quarterback in the league and i was watching that and i'm like man that that would be a kick in the face if I'm the guy, let alone the guy in the North with Jake Browning and KJ Costello, like, sure. hey, man, like, have you seen what we did? Like, you know, Herbert didn't even play against Stanford last year. Now, I will say, I'm not looking at any statistics coming into this game between Stanford and Oregon because Stanford hasn't played an offense at all. Um, you know, you could say what you want about San Diego State, and they went and beat Arizona State. That offense is, is, is not on the level of, of this Oregon team. USC, the hurt hand to Daniels, I think they threw out their game plan uh, against Stanford also. And obviously Davis last week is, is minimal in talent when you stack it up. So 
with that and then the combination of Oregon not facing any kind of defense, I can't I can't take any stats and and, and, and take them seriously here. So I just feel like the whole like here's I, I'll tell you this. I was in I was in Austin last week mm-hmm. and uh, I looked at that as a spot for Texas who really needed a win. Uh, you know, all the naysayers about Tom Herman are are saying this and that. They lose again to Maryland to start the season. And they're on Fox. It's prime time. And I just looked at that as a spot for that team to, you know, hey, man, like, let's do this. Let's try and, you know, shine and show what we have. And I look at Oregon this week, and I think it's very, very similar. Like, hey, no one believes in us. Uh, We didn't have Herbert against Stanford last year. We know we could beat Stanford. We've beaten them before. You know, it is is that, you know, good rivalry in the last decade. And I see a very, very aggressive attacking Oregon team here on the offense and defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it should be interesting to watch as we go along. Stanford Steve, Steve Coughlin from ESPN joining us here uh, on the TreeCast. Kind of along the, on, along those lines, you were in Austin last week uh, watching uh-huh. USC and Texas up close and personal. I, I think coming into the year, uh, we all suspected that the Pac-12 North was a couple of ticks better than the Pac-12 South, but I don't think anyone expected anything like this. What the hell's happening in the Pac-12 South? Um, a lot of change, um, and a lot of, <laughs> I got maybe stubbornness and why that, I mean, I know Chip Kelly, I know what he is as a head coach. I know him as a guy, I worked with him, uh, I've hung out with him a bunch. Right. He's a Northeast guy. I've known him for a long time. He, he, he's, he's, he's going to do it his way. And that's UCLA and USC. I, I don't know, like. I don't count Stanford as a real road game because we have the worst fan base, you know, in the league or in the country. I, I would, I would go on to say. And then I look at JT Daniels come out in Austin. The place was on. USC comes out and goes up fourteen three. A kick turns that whole. I didn't mind what I saw from USC. Like they on the outside with St. Brown, Pittman Jr. Stephen Carr's a guy I think that needs a lot of touches. Like mm-hmm. like Bryce Love level touches i mean i I think he only had eight last week so sc i think really really i mean what do you want like the guy won a rose bowl and he won a pac-12 title you know and he lost sam darnold to the draft like sam darnold last i checked is a pretty damn good player so sc fans just can't have it both ways like it's gonna take a little time and i get it that you know clay helton didn't have the glitz and glamour when he was hired and that's all you guys care about down there but they also have a serious complex too, and they can't handle losing to Stanford. You know, they, they you know, they, they took that as, you know, uh, a forgiven, I, I would think, last year when they beat us twice. But there's a lot of things in that SC fan base. There has been forever. So I don't think they'll ever be, get happy, but I do think they'll win this week. And then you look at the Arizona schools, and when I say that word stubborn for, the, for that side of the division or the conference, you know, I, I think Khalil Tate's been a little stubborn. I, I don't think he's bought in all the way when I watch him. Um, you know, Arizona State, it's pretty obvious they started reading their their, their press clippings a little bit after two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the other two, the two newbies in Colorado, Utah. I think that fumble by Utah going in the end zone might turn the whole conference upside down. When you go back at the end of the year and look back at that game, 
that could put a, a loss for Washington because Utah is going to win that game, don't you think, if he runs that in? Big fellow was on his way into the end zone and then fumbled it, and Utah didn't score. I, I'm not exactly sure if I think you if, if, if Utah would have won that game if they would have scored. Uh, it certainly would have made it a lot closer and a lot better down the stretch. I will say that. Yeah, see, I think I think Utah Washington was already very hesitant. Very hesitant. And if they go one score there, I, I totally felt Utah was going to win that game. <laughs> No one's talking about Colorado, and they might have the most talented quarterback in the league. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the unknown that I love about the Pac-12. Hate it because they get credit for winning conference games against each other, whereas LSU goes to Auburn last week, and Auburn loses and drops two spots in the AP poll. If you catch my drift, <laughs> yeah, totally. Speaking of teams that no one talks about. Cal, shouldn't those guys be getting a little more run around this time of year based on what they've done so far? I I said this week they should have been ranked before the season. I think it was six wins. I, I you know Vegas puts out win totals, easiest bet in the world in the country to go over six wins uh, this year. I think he's I think he's an absolute stud as a head coach um, in Wilcox. Uh, I, I don't care who what he has on defense. His defense is going to be good. And I figured, you know, he'll figure the quarterback thing out. Um, I looked at week for their chance to really jump on the national scene because I think I predicted Oregon would beat Stanford this week and be undefeated going to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I think Berkeley I, I, game. So I I see Cal. Uh, I, I see Cal having a very very solid year. And I did admit it before the season. I think. This might be the year where uh, where uh, that 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 tool might change hands. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry, I was, yeah. got, got that song stuck in my head for a moment. Yeah. Or so, uh, yeah. you played uh, tight end for Stanford back in the late '90s, and I was watching the Pac-12 Network. Uh, uh-huh. and they, they they replay games, they replay old games from time to time, and I'm a sucker for those things. And oh, yeah. they came up with uh, the 1999 game at Washington. The warmer Marcus yeah. Tuiasa just goes off and, and, and puts yeah. on an entire show, one of the great individual performances uh, from a quarterback the sport has yeah. ever seen. Admit it. If Todd Huzak had seen you down the seam, I believe, in the third quarter and thrown it your way, Stanford wins that game, right? No doubt. Uh, Todd <laughs> knows it. Uh, he actually threw a pick, I think, later on. Todd and I talk about that one a lot, um, but that was the best atmosphere I've ever played in front of, man. Like Husky Stadium, I try and tell people all the time, like, you know, Austin obviously in the last decade or so has really, you know, or I'd say, you know, 15 years has really taken that step to the West Coast best atmosphere, but nothing beats Husky Stadium when it's rocking, man. I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. It's, it's the loudest. Uh, I'd put it up there against anybody in the country. Couple last quickies for you here. You were the honorary sure. captain for Stanford men's basketball uh, last season yeah. when the Arizona Wildcats came back to town. Uh, how how cool? What was that? What was that whole entire spirit experience and that whole entire weekend like for you? Unbelievable. Um, Pete Tower was my roommate. I'm sure plenty of people know that. Um, and Coach Hasbrees out to me. Uh, shoot, it was around this time last year and wanted me to come out for the North Carolina game, but um and do it but it's monday night and espn uh has a, a lot of money invested on monday night uh, here and we follow monday night football so that's not doable 
Uh, so I looked at the schedule and he said, pick a game out. I want you to come out here and talk to the team and, and do it. So um, I did it for the Arizona game and it was an unbelievable experience. I can't wait. I can't wait to see this team uh, take the floor this year. I think they have all the goods. Um, I know what they've instilled. I know how hard they've been working and I know what lies ahead and how they, they kind of let an opportunity to make the tournament last year slip away. And the best thing is that they all know that. And they, I, in this offseason, they, they've seemed to take it personally. And I'm really, really, really fired up for, for Stanford basketball this year. Yeah, hoop season just around the corner. It's all going to fire Scary. up uh, more quickly than we know it. As we wrap this up here, I mean, it's a wonderful time of year, especially for you, Sports Center with SVP, the Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast. You know, what's a typical week for, like for you these days? Well, um, it's, it's getting, I'll tell you what, man, the, the plate's getting more full. Uh, you know, we started doing Sundays last year after NFL. So we do Sunday nights. Uh, we come back in, we do halftime of Monday night football. We, we, we do post game of Monday night football. Um, and then like in between that, I'm trying to get, uh, research done and, and, and uh, planning and booking guests for, for our podcast and, writing for the column I write for ESPN.com, picking games. Um, so when I get to Thursday, man, I like to – I feel like all my work's done and I, and I can maybe sound a little smart to do a couple podcasts. So <laughs> when you called, and I was definitely uh, pumped, to, pumped to join you. So it's – it's it's I, what is it, 18 weeks now? It doesn't stop, man. It, it's the best. It fly, we're, already, we're already at week four in the college season. Uh, as you said, there's no better time of the year. It's just no sleep, a lot of coffee, and a lot of multiple TV settings that I need. And that's my selfish <laughs> part of being me is I need multiple TVs on the weekend. So it's not if a, you're going to have me do something, I need multiple TVs. That's all. There, that, that, that's in your rider? That's in your contract? <laughs> <laughs> no, in my next one. In my next okay, one. all right. We'll make sure we'll get that done then. Uh, Stanford Steve Coughlin, our, our guest here on the TreeCast for this week. Steve Always enjoyed chatting with you. One of my favorite memories from our respective days back in Bristol. Yes, the 2006 season blew chunks, but when Stanford was up at Washington and Cardinal had the lead in the fourth quarter and they hadn't had the win yet, and we put the fours up and we walked up and down the radio building to celebrate <laughs> the start of the fourth quarter, and Dad Gummit, they got that win because of us. I'd like to think so anyway. <laughs> they, they, I, they, we were there in spirit, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Hey, Steve, outstanding work. Looking forward to our next chance uh, catching up. We'll talk again soon. You got it, man. Uh, Good luck with all you do, Troy, man. I know how hard you've been working and getting to a spot that you you feel comfortable and you've wanted to get to for a while. So uh, keep doing what you're doing and always watching. I got the Pac-12 network at my house, so I'm always watching. No, that that means a lot. Certainly appreciate uh, the kind words and super pumped uh, for what you've been able to do over the years. Steve Coughlin from ESPN. Stanford Steve, do you realize that he was a guest on the very first TreeCast back in the 2015 season after the Northwestern game? By the way, Stanford ended up going to the Rose Bowl that year. Just saying. Just saying. But uh, awesome stuff with uh, Stanford Steve. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Stanford Steve 82. I certainly recommend that. One more quick thing. If you remember Sunday's TreeCast, we talked about one thing that has been a bit of a troubling trend for Stanford offensively, and that's its relative inability, it seems, to stay on schedule 
on first down because it certainly seems like Stanford gets to second down and long more often than not. And we did a little number crunching before the game yesterday. And we did a little number crunching as the game went along uh, last week, I should say, against UC Davis. And Stanford, if you remember, on average against the UC Davis Aggies, Stanford's average yardage to go on second down against UC Davis last week, 10. And even 10. Stanford, on average, faced second and 10 when they went to second down. For the season, for the season, Stanford offensively is averaging 9.7 yards to go on second down. For a team that likes to run the ball, that is certainly not the best set of numbers to reveal, especially when you're going on second and 10 against UC Davis, quite honestly. During Tuesday's weekly presser, I asked David Shaw for his thoughts because, look, one of the very first things that Shaw looks at when assessing an offense's success and an offense's production is what they do on first down. How efficient are they on first down? I asked David Shaw on Tuesday for his thoughts and his assessment on how the Cardinal have fared on first down so far this season. Better each week. And once again, uh, the, the tree that I come from, the guys that I've worked with, love to run the ball on first down. It's not a secret. And if you can be efficient running the ball on first down, it makes everything else easier. <clears throat> and um, starting with San Diego State, they were just they were just going to tell us, no, not going to do it. We're going to put so many guys down there, it's going to be difficult for you. So to be able to mix in first down passing uh, to, to raise our efficiency, we've gotten better each week. But we'd love to run the ball better on first down than we have, and we'd love to be able to be efficient also. So I don't think we're where we want to be there. Um, I don't think we're really close, but I think we've improved each week. That's David Shaw answering my question to him on Tuesday about uh, his thoughts on Stanford staying on schedule on first down. Getting better each week, but still not where it needs to be. Staying on schedule offensively on first down and on third down, too, to a lesser extent, is going to be critical for Stanford's chances at victory this Saturday against the Oregon Ducks. Staying healthy on the offensive line and performing well with the guys that they do have on the offensive line. That's going to be critical, too. The defense staying home, making sure they're not jumping around and, 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 and making, making silly plays and jumping out of position and getting letting the moment get too big for them and finding a way to work around the lack of Casey Tuhill. That's going to be a critical key as well. Then again, Stanford... I think has a lot of things to like about it coming into this game against Oregon because, let's face it, the Cardinal, for as many warts as we Stanford fans like to kind of pick out about uh, about the Cardinal, Stanford is still leaps and bounds better than Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. You'd like to think so anyway. So this is going to be a big, 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 big Telling point game, turning point game for each of these two teams season. If they want to, if they want to accomplish a lot of the things that they want to accomplish, playing for a North Division championship, playing in the Pac-12 championship game, playing for a Rose Bowl berth, or maybe even beyond that, starts this Saturday. Starts this Saturday. I can't wait. 
Can't wait. Saturday, 5 p.m., it's the ESPN slash ABC college football game of the week. When Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit are on the call, you know it's big. Should be a lot of fun. A quick posting note, since the TreeCast will not be on the road, unfortunately, uh, with the team up in Eugene, here's what we're going to do. In all likelihood, unless circumstances warrant, and hopefully they don't, unless circumstances warrant, our next time catching up with you will likely be on Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, uh, for the TreeCast. That will be our likely next chance uh, to chat and spend time with you. So, again, uh, probably will not be coming to you uh, for the next TreeCast until Tuesday. So mark your calendars accordingly. If anything changes, a great way to stay abreast of things, a couple great ways to stay abreast of things. Number one, follow me on Twitter. I'll let you know if anything changes with the posting schedule for the next few days. Uh, at Troy Clarity, last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. Uh, give me a follow there. And anything that's happening with the TreeCast, uh, you can certainly uh, get the scoop from there. Above all, subscribe to the show. That way you might be able to look into your, your Apple podcast inbox. Oh, hey, there's a new TreeCast there. I, I might want to check it out. Sometimes it might be a surprise to you. You never know. The best way is to subscribe to the show. Also rate it and review it. Thanks again to our guest, Stanford defensive backs coach Dwayne Aquina, and Stanford Steve, ESPN's Steve Coughlin. Two great chats, in, in my opinion. I, I really enjoyed uh, catching up with those guys. Hope you did, too. Hope you enjoyed hearing from them. You got thoughts on the show? I welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. And who knows? Every once in a while, I sometimes answer these tweets if they are especially good and especially pressing. Hashtag TreeCast, the best way to have your thoughts heard on this program. We will see you next time. Looking forward to finding all sorts of new things to talk about the next time we convene. Thanks for joining us. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. And we'll check you out next week. Thanks for joining us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clary. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.